Hi, and welcome to the Good Health Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Good, a registered nutritional therapy practitioner and functional medicine practitioner. Join me as we explore thyroid, brain, and fatigue conditions with positivity. From Hashimoto's to multiple sclerosis, chronic fatigue to adrenal dysfunction, I've got you covered. With expert advice and tips to help you take action now and inspiring real patient stories from successful individuals who refuse to let their health hold them back. Start your journey to good health today. And don't forget to come and join the conversation on Instagram at good underscore health, that's G-O-O-D-E. Or visit my website at nicolegoodhealth.com to find out more. Welcome to today's episode of the Good Health Podcast. In this episode, I'm inviting Mirella Carlucci onto the podcast to talk all things plant-based nutrition. Mirella is a holistic plant-based nutrition coach and has gone on her own journey of plant-based foods for hormones. She now works with women's health, hormones, and plant-based foods. Let's jump straight into this conversation. Okay, Morella, welcome to the Good Health Podcast. It's great to have you here today. Oh, thank you for having me. Always a great time chatting with you. Yeah, so I mean, we we met a while ago. It's been a good few years now since we uh, since we sort of met through through the industry through the work that we do. But I. I'm really interested. What I want to sort of really dig into today is, is sort of, I guess, the the main part of what you do, and, and we'll dig into a little bit around the sort of the gut health and the hormone health that you work with. But the big thing for me is that you are plant based, and I have this discussion with people a lot. So it's around going either going complete. Some people want to go completely plant based. Some people it's they want to just get more of those plant based foods in in the diet. So I really kind of want to dig into that with you today. But let's let's kind of start with your story. Let's get to know you a little bit first. So what was your sort of your story, your health story? How did you get into working in this in this field? Yeah, well, like most of us, it basically started just for health reasons. I was, I think it was in my late 40s, early 50s. I started with all the struggles of perimenopause, I guess you can call them. <laughs> you know, I started getting uh, this weight gain around the belly area, the sleepless nights, a lot of dry skin and just general dryness. But I had suffered from acne when I was in my teens and I noticed it started to come back and it was uh, all concentrated in the jawline area, which is all hormonally driven. So at the time, I didn't realize just the connection between uh, my diet, you know, to the degree that it was like, you know, I go to the doctor and he'd say, oh, you know, it's normal. Everything's bloody normal with doctors, not to knock doctors. because <laughs> I do want them if I break my leg, <laughs> but I is in, you know, in furthest to them, they're all restricted to like 10, 15 minutes consults. So, you know, you go there with all these, you know, laundry lists of what's wrong with you. And they basically just try to narrow it down and give you a prescription for one thing. So the first thing, even in my teens, I was on like heavy, heavy doses of antibiotics for clearing up the, you know, and, but not once was my diet ever discussed, you know, which now knowing what I know, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, like, how can this be? And there must be thousands, if not millions of people out there with the same issues and yet are being given a prescription yeah and to us that seems crazy doesn't it like to, to think like you know knowing what we know to think like that you know diet is not discussed for a lot of these conditions at all or lifestyle for that matter yeah right? or lifestyle. So, yeah, yeah so so I started to do you know read up on things and you know at that time I was new to Instagram and I started following a few accounts that, you know, talked about health and women's health and stuff like that. So I started noticing a pattern with regards to plants and, and the benefits of plants. And 
So, you know, the more I read, the more I got intrigued. And then I watched a few documentaries on Netflix and, you know, that kind of spiraled me into a world of, oh my God, <laughs> you know, so that's how I started. So basically the first thing I gave up, which for me was highly inflammatory was dairy. Um, so I noticed that within weeks, like I would say two weeks of giving up my daily routine was feta cheese on toast or like literally like a cup, if not more of yogurt, Greek yogurt for breakfast. So that, you know, I was never one to drink like glasses of milk, but I was always consuming dairy through like cheese or, or yogurt and stuff like that. So once I gave that up, I noticed within a couple of weeks, the first thing was bloating that had gone. Like I, I didn't feel that, you know, kind of like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable, you know, and then uh, my skin started to clear up. And I thought, oh, okay, so there's something to this, you know, so slowly, it took me six months from the day I started to the day I kind of just said, okay, I'm not consuming any animal products. So I went from like uh, dairy, and then I gave up, I think chicken was next, because I read so much about hormones and chicken, red meat. And I think the last thing I gave up was pork. Coming from a South American background, pork is a very big part of our diet. So that was one of the last things I gave up. But yeah, within six months, I was 51, I think at the time. Yeah. So I gave it all up. And yeah, now I just celebrated my 58th birthday. And I'm six years in like fully, fully, fully plant-based. I'm like, I sleep. I have no skin issues. I feel so vibrant. Like I can go to the gym and have like a heavy workout. I do weights more than I ever did in my twenties and thirties. And I don't have that, you know, soreness for a week or two weeks or, you know, so it definitely from an inflammatory standpoint has done wonders. And yeah, so that's basically there's a lot of these documentaries around now. I was posting about some actually on Instagram because I've been watching a few of them lately. But I mean, we've we've got the sort of the longevity ones that are out there, like the Blue Zones one that's just come out. And mm-hmm. but then there's the other ones like I've been watching Sea Spiracy and Cowspiracy on Netflix. Yes. And then and there was another one I was watching as well, which I think it was called I think it was called Kiss the Ground about soil health and this sort of thing. Is there's, there's lots of these documentaries around at the moment, and I think people are becoming more more aware of what's in foods and what what the issues with some of these animal products are but what I think the thing for me is people always say that they're they're finding it really hard to do and it is like you said you know pork was a huge part of your life so it's it's a big lifestyle change there's no we can't we can't sort of simplify that it's a huge change for a lot of people but how hard did you actually how hard did you find it to go plant-based or for you was it sort of you saw the benefits and actually that, that really helped to sort of motivate you. Yeah. From a personal standpoint, I'm the type of person that if I see a benefit and I, I, I read up or whatever, that it's not something that is good for me, I can pretty much go like cold for <laughs> um, right away. Like that's just my personality. But from a social standpoint, because, you know, we have a very social, you know, active social life. That I found the toughest yeah. because for one, telling our family and friends, you know, uh, my husband, I would say is what he considers himself a flexitarian. So we don't bring animal products into the house, but if we go out, he will have, you know, whatever's being served. Whereas now obviously family and friends know that I'm vegan and they just don't, you know, they'll make an alternative for me. That was, I think the toughest part. 
the social aspect of it. And, you know, six years ago, there isn't, uh, there wasn't as much um, in restaurants even as there is today. Even when we travel, like we travel quite a bit. I just got back from Portugal and the amount of plant-based restaurants, fully plant-based restaurants or options on non-plant-based restaurants is incredible, which I didn't have six years ago. And I can't even imagine people that did this 20 years ago. You know, you go to the grocery store and, uh, you know, you I don't particularly buy a lot of the, you know, plant-based products that are out there in that, you know, the burgers and all that kind of stuff. I stay away from highly processed foods. Um, they are great alternatives for people that are transitioning. Um, you know, if you want to transition or be part of, say, you know, everyone's having a burger and you want to obviously join in, uh, I will do that. But they're not my go-to. But from a, say, milk perspective. There's a lot of milk options out there now, even cheese options. So yeah, I mean, so from that end, is it tough? Yeah, it, it's something that you have to decide you want to do. And, and it's, it's not until you start feeling it in your body and the change and how you feel that you really will stick to it. You know, because if you're doing it because it's a nice thing to do, or it's a trend or whatever, you won't stick with it. Have that with because with autoimmune, obviously, one of the first things that we sort of do with with any of that sort of side of things is gluten is usually the first thing that we we sort of take out, and people always often struggle with it. But mm. once they understand why it's important, and that's part of part of our job, right, is to educate and explain to people why they need to make the. A lot of people know that actually they need to take gluten out, but until yes. they understand yeah. why they don't do it and I think knowing why and understanding really helps people to stick it's like a behavior change thing isn't it, it really helps people absolutely to stick. absolutely and it's one of those things like if someone tells you don't touch a stove it's hot well until you touch it and you feel that it's hot you're not going to really know what that means so yeah. for me it wasn't until I stopped consuming these things that I started to really feel and see you know the change in my body my skin and how I felt that it actually did like I'm never going back to that you know yeah <laughs> why would you want to right like yeah. you know so and I think that's just like you said with gluten-free you know like if you're constantly having those you know abdominal and gastral issues and you know having to run to the bathroom because you're having an episode like why would you want that like <laughs> you know if if once you give it up you start to feel better why would you want to go back so i think that's just like you said it's, it's human nature to resist and it's human nature not to want change is hard but at the end of the day you know we we do what feels good to you and no matter how much we tell them listen if you stop this it'll make you feel until they actually experience it it yeah, won't happen at least that's been my yeah, no, I, I 100%. I, I think that's absolutely key is them actually experiencing it. Is there a food now that I, I know, you, I know you, you said you wouldn't go back to it, which I, you know, I completely understand. But is there a food now that you can sort of say, like, I wouldn't go back to it, but I, I do miss the taste of something? Or is there a certain food that you miss? You know, if you had asked me that question, probably even like a year or two ago, I would probably say seafood, you know, uh, fish. I love salmon, you know, but today, like I was in Portugal and there is seafood, like <laughs> across the board, every restaurant. And my husband was just, you know, digging into these big pieces of, you know, what's their fish there? Bacalao, the mm -hmm. codfish. I didn't do anything. It wasn't like, oh, geez, I wish I could have just a little bite. No, it didn't. But again, I think that just goes with 
you know, when you know too much sometimes too, you know, yeah, like with my girlfriend, food. yeah, who was with us was like, well, what's wrong with fish? You know, like, it, and then, you know, it just gets it. You watch the conspiracy and then you just kind of think of everything, even things like you think are just innocent, like say muscles or, you know, like my husband says, well, they don't have a central nervous system, you know, like you should be able to eat them and <laughs> stuff like that. But until you know, like the, and, and really get involved in the whole thing, then you start to really think, no, it's not okay. At least not for me. Yeah. I, for, for me, if I, I mean, I'm not fully plant-based. I would, I probably call myself flexitarian a little bit. Like I'm, I don't, eat, I don't eat red meat. So that's, I, I don't eat that, but I, I started to move that way, but I haven't. Yeah. I haven't totally gone plant-based but for me it, it would be fish I, a lot of people think that it would be something a bit more unhealthy that you'd kind of miss but for me it would be it would be the fish because yeah. I I do I do love fish in, in my diet yeah. it's the sort of a light meal that I enjoy I know a lot of people that almost they don't necessarily maybe want to watch the documentaries or they don't want to know what's going on in the stuff because actually yeah. it's it's easier not to because that the like, I mean, I can watch the sort of the soil health stuff and I can watch obviously the meat ones because I don't eat the red meat anyway and you know things like that. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm really interested. I'm fascinated. And then I put the conspiracy one on and I sort of was about a quarter of the way through and I was like, I really <laughs> don't want to watch this <laughs> because I love eating fish. And I was yeah, like, yeah. actually, I, you know, there was a lot of stuff in that that was pretty horrific. And I, yeah, yeah. even just down to, you know, the way that they, the way that they fish and the, 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 you know, the damage it's causing to the other animals, like the, you know, the dolphins and the whales and all of this sort of stuff. And I was watching and I was just, I was just like, oh, I was like this, re- I mean, it really made me not want to eat fish. And that's why I didn't want to watch the program. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> but, right. You know, and it's that, it's that hard thing, isn't it? Of like, yeah, actually, sometimes yeah. we've got to really, we've got to kind of face up to it and actually look at the hard stuff and, and learn about the hard stuff and, you know realize what's going on I mean I remember when I remember when I was studying and they you know they were talking about the sort of the where your food comes from and and everything like that and it was they were talking about like the abattoirs and you know and things like this and I I mean it's it's really hard to I mean I I didn't eat meat so it wasn't from that perspective that it was it was tough for me but it was still really tough thing to see it's hard to be faced with and I think a lot of these things are and people maybe shy away from them and don't want yeah. to know because it's easier yeah. not to yeah it's easier not to absolutely and it's just human nature and right? like let's face it like we you know like my husband says ignorance is bliss right because mm-hmm. you know the less you know sometimes it's better but at the same time you can't just put your head in the sand and just say it's not happening because it's affecting everyday life you know and you know whether you are vegan or not, you know, you are experiencing climate change. And I believe that it has, you know, to do with the way um, we farm and and how we evolved as a a race of just not caring, like people just rather look the other way and say, you know, well, it doesn't affect me, you know, until it does, right? And then you just blame something else. (laughs) Or, you know, I'm big on the sort of the soil health stuff. I guess it's around that sort of climate change thing, but the, the sort of particularly the soil health and the organic foods, not using pesticides, you know, all of this is, it's, it's really sort of, it's really big for me. And I was watching, I think it was the, I think it was the kiss the ground documentary on Netflix. And they were talking about like, actually what is the pest, like where did the pesticide come from? Mm-hmm. And, and they were saying like, it's the gas that they put in, like it's 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 effectively like the gas that they used in like the gas chambers in well in like World War Two, and it's like 
people used it to you know to to kill people and then we're putting it on our food and like in the you know on the ground that we're growing our food in and it's like I mean it's it's un, it's unbelievable when you when you listen to it and you watch this and hear some of the stats I mean it is it is amazing and 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 the damage that it does to the soil and then the fact that the food is then not taking up the nutrients the same and we don't get the same from from our food you know even plant yeah. you know that, this is a problem with plant-based even if you're fully plant-based it's a problem with plant-based food absolutely. you're not organic isn't it yeah yeah absolutely and you know which is why we have so many issues now with people for example b12 deficiencies right i mean that was something that you know was kind of just a vegan thing which is no longer, I mean, more and more people, younger people, it used to be as well that even if you were a meat eater over 50, generally, you know, they recommended you have B12 supplements. But now given our the way our food is farmed, we're just not getting it in our diet the way we used to, you know, so even it doesn't matter if you're vegan or not, B12 is becoming a problem, you know, and a necessary supplement for, you know, humans as a whole. So yeah, definitely our soil and it all comes down to the bottom line. And I think until we demand more as, you know, consumers, we're not going to get the results because I mean, from what my understanding is glyphosate, I think is one of the chemicals that is so toxic and is in so much of our foods has gotten into our water now that we really, even if we wanted to always will have a trace of it linked to so many cancers and so many autoimmune conditions. But when you look at that, how it started, it started after the war, from my understanding, is to feed people because we just had so many people to feed that this particular way of, you know, cropping the plants and, and doing this prevented disease. So we got more yield. But today, you know, now it's being used like, you know, among other chemicals, just because it just increases the yield. And now, you know, we have the population, the way it's going you know, what we're feeding, like the majority of the crops that we grow today go to feed animals, to feed us. Now that just doesn't make sense. You know, how we're like, you know, like clearing land, like crazy, you know, uh, our Amazons are practically extinct because we're trying to grow all this, you know, soy. And it makes me laugh when people say, well, no, I don't like, I, I don't want to consume soy. You know, your diet is full of soy, soy is cancerous, soy is that, and I sit there and I think, oh my goodness, but you're eating meat and chicken and pigs, like pork, and their diet is primarily soy. Mm. <laughs> and it's not the non-GMO soy. It's the, the crap that's been, you know, sprayed and everything else that's being fed to the animals that you're eating. And yet you don't want to consume soy, you know, and yet you know, here you are, you're consuming probably more than I am. <laughs> yeah. And it's that thing, isn't it? Of you're, you're not what you eat, you're what you eat eats. Exactly. So yeah, I think education around this topic is so key. And a lot of people, like you said, we just rather look the other way because we assume it's not affecting us, like, you know, but uh, it's a, every, every time you put, you know, your fork to your mouth, what you're consuming is affecting something, someone, <laughs> you know, and in your environment that you live in. Uh, until we make, I think, those demands and better choices with what's on our plate, um, we're not going to see a change. It's, it's, it's moving. I think there's more awareness today. It, it definitely is better, but we can definitely do more. Yeah. And I think just, you know, with our governments, you know, um, in Canada, we no longer uh, have uh, dairy as part of the Canada Food Guide. 
which comes out every five years and it regulates the, the stuff that gets served to our kids in schools and stuff like that. So that came out um, two or three years ago. So it just, wow. they took dairy right out of the, uh, yeah. So um, until that happens more like in the US and in Europe and stuff like that, um, you know, it, it's going to be a problem. And I think we need to demand more because like, whether you're vegan or not, there's so many people that are lactose intolerant. You know, children in schools in the U.S., especially African-Americans, you know, that have issues with lactose to begin with from a genetic standpoint, is it's sad when these children are being given, you know, milk at school and then they sit in the toilet for a, you know, on the afternoon because they're, you know, in so much pain from the lactose. So, you know, why is this happening? <laughs> I think education is key and just demanding more. It's amazing that the government have done that over there in in Canada because I mean it's certainly not yeah. something that we're seeing any sign of really within the in the UK and I, I wouldn't think in America either but it's yeah. uh it does show that there are that things are moving and think we are getting yeah. a little yeah. bit more of that progress. yeah movement progress. and and yeah and I think um you know and, and I mean we're seeing we're definitely seeing a lot more in the way of the sort of the organic farming and I think as well people are more aware over here in the UK of, of sort of how farming is done in yeah. you know in terms of sort of you know even you know things like the way they they move the cattle around the fields and you know things like this to keep the soil health and all that there's there's a lot more of that side of things that I think we're we're getting better with I think it's slow movement I think it's going to be yeah. it's a sort of a relatively slow change but I think there is change which is is a positive but we're certainly yeah we're not seeing we're not seeing sort of things like that like dairy coming out of the that sort of food pyramid of that so that I mean that's that's quite progressive I would you know it is and it was big here and I'm glad our government took those steps because it is something that you know like I said you don't necessarily have to be vegan it's just for other issues you know just allergies and tolerances right so yeah but there is definitely from an organic standpoint we're not as advanced as Europe in North America, I find that it's very willy nilly here. So, and I mean, let's face it, it's expensive. Not everybody can afford organic. So you have to kind of pick and choose. And the World Health Organization puts out that dirty dozen every year. And that's a good way to kind of see the 12 that you should be buying organic if you're purchasing those items. And then everything else you can get away with not, right? So that's a good guideline, I think. To follow because uh, yeah it is a lot more expensive and if you're trying to feed a family it's not always easy but wherever you can I think you know they, I think strawberries are consistently number one yeah, they're really one of the highest grade uh, crops so you know having had uh, a child who was asthmatic and had eczema and all kinds of autoimmune type of conditions yeah she I had to be really careful you know so I was very conscientious about stuff like that yeah when I became yeah, aware <laughs> The, dirt, the dirty dozen list, I think, is a good if you know if you can't afford to to buy everything organic. I mean, I've I've noticed with our food shops that the it's it's become a lot easier now to buy organic. Uh, we can get yeah. it in most of the supermarkets now. Have some form of an organic. That this is yeah. true here, here um, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, we. I mean, I I I buy a lot of organic. That's you know probably probably 80 90 percent of what I buy is is, is organic but it is more expensive and it isn't always feasible for people and like you said in that case that the the dirty dozen list is is a good one to 
you know, sort of start on. Yeah, we we go sure. we go and stay on. We sort of go away on holiday in in the UK, and we go and stay on an organic farm. Oh, beautiful! Yeah, it's and it's lovely. It's 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 you know that food to table sort of vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's coming out of the market garden onto your plate, and it's all organic. But we always say we get you get more full. You actually need smaller portions. We yeah. we're always really full on the food there, and I'm yeah. I'm sure it's because it's just got more nutrients in it. It's just got more nutrients, less chemicals. Yeah, yeah. I find, and I don't know if there's any truth to that, but I believe that these chemicals actually do alter our uh, satiety and our hunger hormones, and they're they're designed, in my opinion, for that. You know, so you know, I don't know if you've heard, but McDonald's, for example, their French fries. You know, a lot of people may not know this, but they ask their farmers for a particular type of potato. And these potatoes get sprayed with this chemical that even the farmers cannot, once they're sprayed, their fields are sprayed, they cannot go to their fields for five days. And even when these things are harvested, they have to be like fully masked into these, like almost (laughs) like, can you imagine? And this is the type of stuff that is being fed to our children. Because how many kids do not, you know, adults for that matter, love McDonald's french fries, right? And yet this is the kind of stuff. So, and, you know, is there an addictive type of component to that stuff? I don't know. I I'm almost say there is like, you know, it's just yeah, the, it the neat me. Kind of, Yeah, it wouldn't, exactly. It wouldn't shock me. So, yeah. So, yeah, definitely uh, organic is, like I said, um, in Europe far better regulated than it is here in North America, in my opinion. Um, You know, you could see a farm that is organic here and right next door, non-organic. You know, if this guy is spraying, you mean to tell me it's not going up into the, you know, coming down on over here. Exactly. And that is, that is a big problem where this, this farm we go and stay on, they've got enough acres of land like hundreds of acres of land that they don't have you know they don't have that prop that problem where where they grow things but I do know that the woman that owns the lady that owns that organic farm she she has been around the farmers and she's talked to other local farmers about the benefits and she's really tried to work around that and yeah uh, because it, like you say, you know, it does, it's it's going to get in the air and then it's going to, it's going to drop back down. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So So, yeah, yeah, that's a tricky one more regulated probably here so you you've sort of touched on hormones and the impact that sort of you know all of this sort of has with with hormone balance and I know you do a lot of work with women at that sort of perimenopause menopausal kind of age so how do plant foods positively impact hormones and what are kind of the what the negative impacts that you see from the sort of the animal foods well plant foods are loaded with uh, more nutrients uh, things like fiber and polyphenols, you know, all these antioxidants, uh, minerals that you just don't find in, you know, non-plant foods. So uh, from that end, from a hormonal standpoint, you know, you have, and and women, and well, people in general think hormones, when you say hormones, you think you're talking about, you know, estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, but, you know, we're also talking about cortisol, insulin, you know, leptin, which is our kind of our hunger regulator, you know, it it tells the body signals the brain when we're full, ghrelin, you know, which tells the brain when we're hungry, all these hormones are deeply affected by, you know, the foods that we eat. 
So if we're not, you know, feeding the body nutrient dense diet that is filled with things like fiber that feed our microbiome in our gut and our gut produce these beneficial things like butyrate, you know, these short chain fatty acids that are so wonderful for healing the gut and, you know, keeping that brain kind of access to the gut uh, healthy. These are all things that we don't really look into when it, or think of when we think of, you know, our diets and when we say hormones, people think, oh, you know, it's just the sex hormones, but there's so many other hormones. So, you know, I think the obesity epidemic we have today is just because our diets are so poor and lack all these nutrients and fiber in particular, you know, like protein is one of those things that I get asked about all the time as a vegan, you know, well, where do you get your protein? And, you know, you can't be getting enough protein. And I often say to people, you know, if you eat enough variety and you eat enough food, Protein is not a concern in any diet, especially in, you know, in the developed countries, you know, we are over protein, <laughs> you know, we, there is no such thing. I have not heard of someone being protein deficient that lives in the developed world, right? So, you know, protein should not be one of the concerns and there's so much protein in all kinds of like, you know, beans, legumes, greens, you know, I can get probably without even thinking based on how I eat in a day, anywhere from 60 to 75 grams of protein a day. And that is more than adequate. And what people don't realize with protein is that your body can only metabolize 30 grams at a time. Yeah. And it's also dependent on your level of activity. So you can sit and eat all the protein in the world and it'll get converted to fat because if you're not working it off in, you know, with, you know, strength training, if you're not balancing it out within meals so to make sure your body can metabolize, no, you know, 30 at a time, if you wait, like for most women, you know, they'll say, Oh, I have a toast and a coffee for breakfast and a salad for lunch, but I have, you know, a big four ounce, six ounce steak or piece of breast chicken breast for dinner. Well, that may be more than 30 grams. So now what you've done is you've depleted all day of protein. And now you've like, you know, put this chunk of protein inside that your body can only take 30, uptake 30 grams of, and the rest is getting converted to fat. And you're wondering why you're, you know, you're not, you know, first of all, that's not enough calories, <laughs> you know, toast and coffee for breakfast is not a, you know, a balanced meal, a salad, depending on what you put in it is not a balanced meal. So, you know, these are the type of things that I think um, getting to, you know, educated on is the protein that you need is far less than the fiber that you're getting, you know, because most North Americans, anyone anyway, I, I think is the same in the UK are getting 50% of the recommended. So the recommended somewhere between 25 and 35 for women, a little bit higher for men. Most women barely get 15 grams. Yeah. And, you know, fiber is such an important nutrient for uh, hormonal balance that um, women need to understand that, you know, without fiber, you're not, um, you know, pushing through all the waste, you're not metabolizing or uh, detoxifying or uptaking the hormones, you know, your body needs to be the proper nutrients to be able to make more hormones, first of all, but also to get rid of the spent or the, you know, hormones that are no longer needed in the body. And it can only do that through your gut. And if your gut is 
deficient, if your liver is not properly working, then all that is for nothing. So, you know, fiber plays such a critical role because you need to feed those, you know, healthy, beneficial gut bugs in order for them to do their job, right? So, you know, another thing that, um, you know, a lot of women that I deal with is they're not, you know, this may be TMI is they're not pooping. <laughs> and we need to talk about poop, <laughs> you know, having, it's part of human, you know, cycle It's what we do. It's part of our, you know, mechanism, what we eat must come out. And, you know, the body needs to assimilate all the nutrients, use what it can, and then pack up what it doesn't and eliminate it. But if we're not eating, you know, if our diet consists primarily of protein in the way of meats and chicken and, you know, all this kind of stuff, and we're not incorporating enough plant foods when fiber is only found in plant foods. So if you're not eating enough vegetables and fruits and nuts and grains to be able to, you know, flush out all this stuff or drinking enough water, that's another big one, you know we're not going to have the hormonal balance and the, you know, homostasis that we're looking for. So that is a big thing for me is trying to educate women that, you know, before you worry so much about protein, let's concentrate on, you know, how much fiber you're getting, how well your, you know, your body is not only, you know, assimilating all your nutrients through your gut, but also detoxifying you know, recirculation of estrogen is a huge problem, you know, with estrogen dominance. You know, I have women that say their breasts are so swollen, they feel bloated, they, they've got all these, you know, issues that are directly related to the fact that they have these excess hormones just recirculating, taxing their liver, you know. So yeah, that's my little rant on protein. I <laughs> know, yeah, but I think it's true. And I think people forget about Fiber. I always ask my list before when I'm doing, when I've got guests coming on, you know, what questions have you got for, for them on this sort of topic? And, and the ones that came in for you were, how do I get enough protein in a, in a vegan diet? So that was, that was predominantly the main question that came in from most people. No one asked about fiber, which, you know, we've just talked about, you've just sort of talked about the importance of the other one that came in actually, which we haven't touched on was, was iron people asking about iron in the vegan diet, because obviously we have, you know, the heme iron from the, from the animal products. It's non-heme if you are getting your iron from your, your plant-based foods, be on a vegan diet. Okay. Do you find people are deficient in iron when they're on a vegan diet or how do you sort of advise them to make sure they're getting enough? Yeah. Again, it goes back to similarity to protein. You know, you need to have a well-balanced diet and, and a lot of people, you know, think that a, a vegan diet is adding some vegetables to a plate of rice or some to, you know, pasta and not taking into account exactly what type of vegetables they're consuming. We need a variety, you know, the eat the rainbow type of idea, right? So we need to ensure we're getting enough leafy greens, enough legumes in the way of like, you know, lentils and chickpeas and beans and, you know, nuts and seeds and, and grains, you know, grains like quinoa, you know, oats you know, whole grain rice. So these are all things that if you are eating a well-balanced diet, iron should not be an issue for you. If again, you're only being particular in the type of foods that you're eating, then you may run into problems. You know, there are picky eaters, right? So there may be people say, oh, I don't like broccoli. I don't like greens. I don't, you know, so you will run into problems, right? So you need to ensure that you have a well-balanced diet. We could just touch on, you know, the two types of iron and 
So heme iron primarily found in animal products in the muscle and blood of, you know, red meat in particular organs and stuff like that. And then the non-heme obviously found in only plants. But obviously like there is arguments over the absorption. So yes, heme iron in animal products is highly absorbed by the body. So about 35%, I think. Whereas non-heme iron is only about 20%. The difference in the two is that heme iron, the body does not regulate. So you can take in, take in, take in. It does not have a regulator that says you've had enough iron and excess iron can cause some very serious problems in the body. Whereas non-heme iron is very easily regulated by the body. That said, you know, I don't know if you've read, there's a recent study on uh, red meat and, you know, uh, the World Health Organization did come out and deem, you know, things like uh, processed meats as carcinogens a few, I think it was a year or so ago, but now there's a new study that came out that talks about red meat. So even a whole red meat that we think is healthy in part of a good diet, they're now looking at as for diabetes, the risk of type two diabetes increasing with red meat. And they think it's because of the heme iron that is causing the pancreas to misfire and therefore insulin becomes a problem. So this is very new and the study is very intense and actually a very good study because they took into account all kinds of uh, factors like BMI, weight, and the lifestyle and diet of the individuals to begin with. Um, and, you know, they, these individuals had a fairly healthy diet in that they ate fruits and vegetables uh, were active, but still their insulin levels were affected by eating too much red meat. So that's interesting in that um, that's another issue with heme iron that potentially could be affecting your pancreas and causing you to develop type two diabetes. So from that standpoint, I, I think that, you know, eating a enough of a variety in your plant-based diet, you should not run into a problem and you are at less at risk of things like type two diabetes or other, you know, chronic and metabolic type diseases. Right. So, yeah. 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 A lot of people always sort of say to me, like, you know, what is the healthiest diet? You know, what, yeah. what is the, what's the healthy one? What, what, what should I be? And people love to label diets, don't they? Which I'm not, a yeah, yeah. but, but I think I always say to people, there isn't, you know, it's, it's about healthy choices, whichever diet you have, you could have yeah. somebody who is, you know, it's not a case of being either carnivore or vegan or necessarily, yeah. you know, you could have a vegan in front of you who is actually really unhealthy because they're not, like you said, not eating a balanced diet, not getting all the nutrients, you know, they're eating maybe all the processed vegan sort of type foods, you know, and, and things like that. Or maybe they're at like, you know, eating vegan, but it's McDonald's every day or, you know, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can have a meat eater that's like really unhealthy doing the same thing with all the process and foods like that. Or you could have a meat eater that's having a little bit of meat and they're having lots of plant foods with that. And yeah. then that's very healthy. And then you, you know, a vegan who's eating, like you said, very rounded diet, lots of things in there, getting all the nutrients in, and they've got a really healthy diet. So it is, it is about the choices you make within whatever label you want to put on, on your diet, you know, and it works both ways, whether you, whether you're eating meat or whether you aren't, you know, plant-based, 
you've still got to make healthy choices, haven't you, within that, within that diet? Within that, yeah, exactly. And that's just it. I mean, will there be a time when everybody goes plant-based or vegan for that matter? I don't think so. And I don't think it's necessary. You know, like I said, my husband is flexitarian and he's happy that way. And as long as you, I think, use animal products more as a condiment versus the centerpiece of your plate. So instead of having that, you know, 12 ounce steak, why don't you, you know, make that steak part of the entire family's, you know, meal and you slice it up and now it becomes that kind of like a side part of, you know, your vegetables in a stir fry, for example, you know, so that now that same 12 ounces is being spread out between four people or something like that, you know? So I think there is ways to minimize our risk of eating too much animal products and, you know, with disease and cardiovascular and and all that kind of stuff, issues with, you know, diabetes and cancers for that matter, right? So, you know, is there, like you said, is there one diet that's the perfect diet? No, because it all depends on how you're carrying it out. And I, you know, I, I tend to shy away from the term vegan because it automatically puts people off and they think that, you know, all I'm chomping on is salads all day. So, you know, and vegan as a term is is not so much, you know, I eat plant-based and I believe in a vegan, the vegan concept of, you know, do no harm to other living things, you know, and stuff like that. So I think from that end, am I the healthiest person on the planet? No, (laughs) you know, because beyond what's on our plate, it's our lifestyle too, right? So, you know, how much sleep are you getting? How much exercise Are you drinking alcohol? Do you smoke? You know, what's your stress levels like, you know? So these are all things that play a part in in your health, your your health. You can't just say it's what's on your plate. That's huge, right? But it's not the whole picture. Yeah. And even things like, you know, in that, in the Blue Zones documentary that's come out on Netflix, you know, they're talking a lot about, you know, community and having a purpose in life and you know these things as being part of that sort of longevity and optimal health and yes. you know that side of things and it's it's like you said it's it's a full picture there's so many more things to take in but even yes. things like that are important yeah absolutely and you know i've been reading a lot about the effects of sunlight and uh daylight first thing in the morning and how important that is to set our you know internal circadian you know, our our rhythm, it will be off if we're constantly, you know, and and living. And I think this is the same in the UK, like when I get up generally between six and 630 in the morning, it's pitch dark out now, Mm. you know, so I have invested in one of these lights that, you know, replicate kind of daylight to kind of turn that on first thing in the morning and keep my eyes closed for a good 10, 15 minutes to just, you know, allow that to kind of, you know, start my cortisol and, and, you know, stop the melatonin production and get me awake, you know, and that's become such a routine. And, and I think it's so important from what I understand for, you know, just like it is to go to bed and have those, you know, hygiene when you go to bed, as far as, you know, getting off your devices, at least two hours before, you know, sleeping in a cool room. What's the other ones there? Making sure that you don't drink, you know, a lot before bed so that you're not getting up to pee all night. Stuff like that, you know, um, are important, but more so for my, my research is that 
what you do first thing in the morning yeah. will ultimately because of your cortisol, right? So cortisol is, a, is you know, a, a hormone that we normally just say it's our stress hormone, which it is, but it plays a critical role in so many functions of the body that, you know, getting that guy set straight early <laughs> will make your life so much easier, right? Yeah. So I always tell um, people to, if they can sort of first thing, even if it's like having that morning coffee, just get outside and have the morning coffee and if it's obviously like you said you're here I mean it's it's actually a really nice day here today and we've got lovely blue sky and sun which for this time of year in in the sort of autumn winter is unusual it's usually raining or you know not nice yeah, and you yeah. can't get out but yeah. even <laughs> yeah, it's typical but even having you know even having that bio window and looking out of the window looking yeah. outside first thing in the morning that is if you can't get out you know we have times of year where that is yeah. going to be difficult but first thing in the morning, just even just doing that, just get, you know, looking out the window, looking outside, just yeah. getting much of that daylight as you, as you possibly can, even in the bad weather is still going yeah. to be beneficial at getting that, that circadian rhythm set. And that yeah. helps with sleep and people, we forget, I think we do a lot of the nighttime routine stuff yeah. and yeah. actually the morning routine stuff, you know, people kind of forget about and, and mornings are busy as well. You know, okay. You know, nighttime yeah. generally people have got a bit more time to think about it, but exactly. morning, it's, you know, exactly. up, it's getting kids ready. It's getting to work. You know, it's all of that yeah. sort of business and people forget that thing, but actually those, those first few minutes when you, when you first wake up, that can be yeah. really important. Yeah. And what I say to, to my ladies is like, um, yeah, we're all busy, but we all have 24 hours in a day. So make yourself a priority. And I think as women, that is a big uh, problem we don't tend to put ourselves first. And does that mean maybe getting up a half an hour earlier? Yeah, it does. But, you know, it's time that you can have to yourself that, you know, it's for you, whether that's, you know, like you said, getting up, exposing yourself to daylight, doing some, you know, stretching, writing in a journal, just having that, you know, even if it's 15 minutes of undisturbed time that is yours is so wonderful to just setting your day, you know, up for success. Because starting off in that hurried rush kind of, you know, we're already like worked up that, you know, it's no wonder that by three o'clock, we're hitting that crash, because our cortisol has just tanked way too early, <laughs> you know. And, so. and that's the side of the hormones that like you said, people forget about as soon as we say hormones, people think, you know, the estrogen, the sex hormones and all of that they forget about the kind of the, you know, the cortisol and also the, like you said, the impact on like the, you know, crashing at 3 PM, you know, insulin can be involved in that as well. And, you know, hormones is, is a much bigger picture than just your estrogen levels for women. That's a huge part of the picture, but it's not the whole picture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just in general, you know, a lot of studies that are done on these things are on men and, you know, men have a much more simple kind of hormone profile than women do. They do have the same hormones we do, but they're not affected to the degree that we are. I mean, women are affected monthly with cycles. Yeah. You know, we go through things like childbearing years, we go through menopause. So women have a higher, com more complex, you know, type of hormone function, and we should be treated differently for that reason, you know. Yeah, approach. more of those life stages, aren't there? To Exactly. To yeah, yeah. So if somebody is listening to this and is thinking they want to either maybe go fully plant-based or, or that's their, that's their goal to get there, or they want to just get more of those kind of plant-based meals, maybe in the diet. And I know we've had like, you know, meat-free Monday has been a thing over yeah. here, you know, sort of things like that. But if yeah. people are wanting to get more of those plant-based foods in the diet, plant-based meals, 
or go fully plant-based, what would be your kind of three top tips for somebody who's starting out on that journey and really trying to, because like we said, it's not easy, but starting out on that journey, yeah. taking those steps, what, how would you advise yeah. them to kind of get started? I would say focus on what you can add as opposed to what you're going to take away. Because, you know, let's face it, anytime we're told, okay, you got to get rid of this, we automatically get our backs up or it becomes a, oh, no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) So, you know, maybe incorporate, you know, an extra fruit in your day, add, you know, more berries to your, you know, yogurt or to your morning oats or, you know, add an extra salad, perhaps, you know, or an extra veggie. You know, and then from there, I would say, look at your favorite meals or your family's favorite meal. You know, if it's, you know, for some people, it might be um, spaghetti and meatballs and look at ways to veganize that, you know, because there's so many recipes out there and so many ways to convert your favorite meal in a plant-based version of it. And, you know, uh, my son-in-law, who is not a veggie man at all, he's British. (laughs) So he's been staying with us now, Will, him and my daughter, they just moved back. And um, so making meals that he would enjoy eating. So I made, he loves bolognese, like spaghetti with bolognese sauce. So I made the sauce and I made the, you know, with mushrooms. So I ground up the mushrooms and the walnuts and I grated some tofu. I seasoned it like you would any type of meat. So, and then I put it on baking sheet into the oven until it became like dry and a crumble. And then I put it into my sauce and I served it to him. He had two helpings. He's like, this is delicious. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, in your sauce, even, you know, you can sneak in vegetables. Like, you know, I whip up things like zucchini, very you know, you don't even know it's there. It's not offensive. It doesn't have a particular high uh, flavor. You can even put greens, you know, a handful of spinach in your sauce, because once you whiz it all up, you don't see it, right? So there's, there's ways to incorporate more veggies into your favorite type of foods, right? So I would say that. And then the other thing would be just don't try to do everything at once, because then you're sure likely to just give it all up, you know? So I would say do something like, you know, that get the adding of something and do that for a week or two. And then once you feel like, oh, you know what? I can do this. I can add more, add more. Eventually what you're going to find is that there's going to be less room for the other stuff. So, you know, you're going to go for less piece of chicken or less piece of beef or less piece of whatever it is that you're having. And you're going to find that your plate is being more primarily plants and, and, you know, veggies and, and, you know, get creative, grill your veggies, you know, if you can, it doesn't have to be boiled or, you know, <laughs> you know, there's, like I said, there's so many beautiful recipes out there, like Brussels sprouts, you know, I hated Brussels sprouts as a kid, because my mom or even broccoli, she literally would boil it, you know, with salt, and maybe some butter, you know, and it was like, who the hell was eating that? <laughs> You know, but if you, you know, take, you know, Brussels sprouts and you season them and you put them under the broiler and they get crispy, you know, you can add a a nice, you know, little bit of dressing with some maple syrup, you know, make them or even a balsamic glaze, you know, now you've got something that, you know, it's got the texture, it tastes nice, it's got sweetness, you know, so there's so many ways that you can take your everyday law of vegetable that perhaps you grew up with 
and transform it into so many delicious things or hide it for those picky eaters, you know? Yeah, I think I think that's really good advice. I think, you know, just I think focusing on what you can add in, I think is always, always important. You're learning a new way of cooking. I think that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's sort of one of the things, isn't it? And I think it's just finding a few recipes that actually you enjoy that you can put in maybe weekly and things like that, you know, just, just to get you started on that. Like, I like the idea of, like you said, taking your favorite meal and like, you know, veganizing it. You'll feel like you're having your favorite meal. I think that's, that's a really, a really good tip as well. You're not eating anything foreign, right? Like it's still something that you are used to eating. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And like you said, you know, going slow, if people are trying to do this, like don't, don't search for perfection. I think that's, yeah. It doesn't need to be perfect from day one. It's like, you know, just start making a few changes and and see how it goes. And it could be as simple as swapping out your milk for a a non-dairy milk, you know? I recently invested in um, a, a nut milk maker and, uh, you know, I've started making my own milk and it's delicious. It's there for when I need it. I don't have to worry. Oh my God, I didn't get to the market to do it, you know, but again, here I am six years in and I just bought the darn thing. So, you know, take your time. There's a lot of alternative. Use the, the stuff that's out there as transition foods. You know, they are good products out there. Just be conscious of, you know, the sodium, the sugar you know, the fat, make sure that, you know, all those things are in line because yeah, Oreo cookies are vegan, but they're not good for you, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So I love that. I think that's, that's really great advice. And I think there's some really good tips there for people. And, and yeah, I hope, I hope everybody listening to really enjoyed the conversation. I certainly have. It's been great to have you on and and chat through through a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Excellent. I look forward to uh, getting together in person one time, one day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely yeah thank you so much for joining me today oh thank you for having me it's been a great chat i hope you enjoyed this episode of the good health podcast do share the episode with anyone who you think it may benefit or who may enjoy it and help me spread the word by rating the episode or leaving a review if you want more you can find other episodes in the series on your podcast app or sign up to my free newsletter not only will you get information on new episodes launching but we cover lots of health topics with the Ask Nicole section where you can send in your questions, my favorite recipes, my favorite products, tips and tricks to help you on the road to good health and much more. You can sign up free of charge at nicolegoodhealth.com forward slash newsletter, also linked below. I hope you have a lovely week. Don't forget to hit subscribe and I'll see you next time.